Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, if you will. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And we'll look at 1 Samuel 17. Before we get started, I would like to mention an answer to prayer this week. Baby Kingston, Zach and Sharice's baby boy, was able to come home from the hospital on Friday. And so we're thankful for that. He was there for, I guess, about a week or so. And, uh, and so that was quite a situation. She was on bed rest for a few weeks. And so praise the Lord. Mom and baby seem to be doing very well and are at home. And so we're thankful for that. I've enjoyed the service tonight. Thank you for coming. I hope it's been an encouragement, a challenge, a help to you. I, I enjoy singing. I could, I could listen to singing and keep singing probably for another hour, which is probably why I, I said we're going to do that with the interns a few Sunday nights a month over the next few months after church. And I told them when they were at our house, I said, even if nobody else comes up here and sings, we'll just get some snacks and go to my house and do it for another hour on Sunday night. I just love singing and, and taking requests and opening the hymnal and and uh, singing songs, I, I enjoy that. And, and uh, especially with people that are good. I'm not very good. I just like to sing loud. I have a terrible voice. But to, to, do, to be able to sing with those that have some musical skill that they use for the Lord, I enjoy. Tonight, I'm going to show you a picture. Who can tell me? Not that one. Next picture. Who is that guy right there? Who is it? Bill knows. A couple of, some of you are like, I have no idea. Kind of looks like my grandpa, but I'm not sure. And that's Bobby Knight. If you were to ask most college basketball fans in the 1970s or 1980s who the best college basketball coach in the country was, uh, you would probably, at, at that time, you would probably have heard his name from almost everybody. Some of the players that I coached early on, Sammy being one of them, my first few years of coaching, used to call me Bobby Knight. I would get a little too intense and a little too crazy in coaching and get teed up. And Sammy would say, relax, Bobby Knight, and chill out there. But Bobby Knight, if you would ask most people in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, you say, who's the best college coach out there? They probably would have told you Bobby Knight. At the time, he would have been described as hard-nosed, old school, and incomparably effective. When he retired, he retired as the winningest coach in college basketball history with 902 wins. The one who now, the coach who now holds that distinction, Coach K, actually served as an assistant, or first a player under Bobby Knight, and then was an assistant. So the winningest coach in college basketball history learned as a player and as an assistant coach from Bobby Knight. His Indiana teams, those Hoosier teams, won 11 Big Ten titles three NCAA national titles. They went undefeated during the 1976 season, the last college team to do that, to go undefeated and win a national title. He was the gold medal winning coach of the 1984 Olympic team. He was one of only three coaches who's ever won an NIT championship, an Olympic gold medal, and an NCAA championship. No doubt by any metric, one of the most successful college coaches in history. The interesting thing is, there's not a single college or pro sports team that in 2021 would hire a leader like him today. We have now, there's now a new type of leader. And, and unfortunately, as his career progressed, he became known more for his temper, his angry outbursts, 
and allegations of inappropriate conduct for a coach being alleged that he choked a player in practice and put his hands on another student or two. If you go on YouTube tonight and type in Bobby Knight, the next two words that will autofill on YouTube is, it, the next two words, it'll, you type in Bobby Knight, it will, it will autofill with throws, chair, and this video will come up. Fred Jasper's now chasing Bobby Knight back to his chair. And he's we got, got him right there. There's the tee. Technical against the bench and against Bob Knight. Steve Reed, an excellent free throw shooter, will have the honors shooting the technicals. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair. Clear across the free throw lane. And I think uh, Fred Unbelievable. He picked up another tee. And that is how, that is how he's remembered by many, that outburst and things of that nature. Ultimately, Indiana University President Miles Brand fired him for his conduct in 2000. A Hall of, fear, a Hall of Fame career ending in ignominy. We can argue whether or not that was deserved or fair and whether or not we could use some more hard-nosed old-school type coaches uh, in, in leadership at times. But the reality remains that Knight's life and career were marked by, and for some people, defined by his toxic leadership and actions, and that there is no university or team that would hire a leader like him today. For better or worse, there is a new type of leader that is expected in these leadership roles. Tonight, in our 12th message in our toxic leadership series, studying the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel in the Old Testament, I'd like to bring a message entitled, Introducing a New Type of Leader. Introducing a new type of leader. We've been looking at the life of King Saul and characteristics about him. We've been studying him and in many ways his failed leadership. Why are we doing that? In an attempt to identify attributes in our own lives and leadership that may be somewhat toxic somewhat unscriptural, somewhat unhealthy in our marriages, in our families, at work, if God's given us authority in some other area, and, and hopefully seeking to rectify those things in our lives. And 1 Samuel 17, for those that are familiar with Scripture, when we say that chapter, you'll often think of, that's the chapter that tells the story of David and Goliath. But there is actually a lot we can learn about the life and leadership of King Saul in this, this passage that is known uh, for David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath in chapter 17 covers 58 verses. We're not gonna cover them all tonight. For the sake of time, we're only gonna read a few of those. I think most of us know the, the main points of that story. But, but in this story, when the leaders, it is in this story that the leadership of David, a new type of leader, really comes onto the scene in a public way. David's already been anointed by Samuel as the future king of Israel, but he's not assumed his position yet. He's an unknown shepherd, the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. He bursts onto the national scene of Israel here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and it's here that we're introduced to a new type of leader. Before this, Israel's only known one king, King Saul. His spirit, his personality, his style is all they know. That is what a king is. Whatever King Saul has done, they have nothing to compare it to. That's what a king does uh, for the nation of Israel. And David shows them, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. David shows them 
that a, a leader can look different than King Saul, that a national leader can act differently, can have a different heart and could lead in different ways. And I want us to see the contrast tonight between King Saul. My message is gonna contrast the lives of King Saul and the future King David. And I want us to take inventory in our own lives and ask, which one do I more closely resemble? Tonight we're gonna look at it and we're gonna see a toxic king and a godly shepherd. And by the way, if you have any area of influence or leadership, you still are faced with those two choices today. Am I going to lean more toward the, that of a toxic king or a godly shepherd? Who are you going to be tonight? Now I want us to ask that question, will we be toxic kings or, go, or queens or godly shepherds? And I want us to look at that. I'm gonna to start tonight. We'll look at chapter 17, verses one through 11 and look at some, what are the characteristics of a toxic king? Look at verse number one, if you will follow along, please, and see the scripture for yourself. The Bible says, now the Philistines, these are the enemies of Israel, gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoka, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shoka and, and Ezekah and Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So Saul, this national military leader, has all of his armies in array. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. I've stood there in Israel at this spot. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named, who is he named, church? The champion's named what? Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, nine foot nine inches. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That's about 100 pounds. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. Very impressive leader. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. One bearing a shield went before him. Just the, the tip of his spear was 15 pounds. This is an impressive military, uh, military uh, killer, Goliath. And we see, we see, uh, it says he stands up in verse eight and, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not, am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Would you read verse 11 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul, a man that stood a head and shoulders, he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And he's the national leader, God's chosen people. By the way, God had promised his people that he would give them victory. And Saul, the leader, does not lead in faith and believing God. But I see here, number one, the first thing we see about a toxic king, the first characteristic is he lives in fear. You see this all through the story of King Saul's reign. When he can't figure it out, he lives in fear. And fear is a terrible posture for any leader to operate out of fear or to lead by fear. Sometimes as leaders, we lead from fear. We're scared of what might happen. And almost always when you lead from fear, you will end up using and abusing those that you lead. You will manipulate every, because you're always viewing everybody as they're out to get you. 
Who's trying to hurt me? Who's trying to destroy my kingdom? And it, it, it sabotages every relationship. If you're at work and you're leading from fear, this one's trying to get me and that one, you will end up with divisive and distant and really toxic relationships at home if you lead this way. But not only do leaders sometimes lead in fear themselves, sometimes they lead by fear. You're going to lead me because I'm the leader and, and, and we, we scare people into following us. That is not a picture of a healthy, godly shepherd. That's a picture of a toxic king. And we see here, verse 11, when Saul, you see that? Saul and all Israel, when they heard the words of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. A leader that lives in fear will be overbearing, illogical, unkind, manipulative. They'll view everything from that posture of who's against me, always suspecting someone is trying to destroy me or my work. They read into everybody's actions things that are not there. If you've lived in a home, or maybe you've unfortunately as a husband, wife, mom, dad, led in this way, you know the, the great strain and stress that a culture of fear brings when it comes from the leader. And here we have a nation that is cowering in fear because their leader is cowering in fear. If you study the reigns of leaders like Saddam Hussein or Kim Jong-un or those others, and they're extreme examples, I know, but those leaders, they are constantly, they lead by fear. The people that follow them, follow them because they're scared of what might happen. And you study those things. When you lead by fear, you'll see unbelievable mistreatment of their closest confidants sometimes to the extent of the assassination of their own family members. They'll put to death a son or a son-in-law because they said something they didn't like in a meeting. Why? Because they constantly have to keep that grip on the rest of their followers. We've got to make sure everybody knows they can't cross me. And, and, and of course, that's an extreme example of a, of, a, of a nation's dictator. But the reality is sometimes in our homes and in our churches, we can be little dictators. Not leading from love, not leading by faith, but leading from fear. Either I'm scared of, and so everything I do is out of fear or I lead by fear. They illustrate that truth, those examples, leading by fear, in fear or by fear is a terrible way to lead. May I just say tonight, you cannot effectively lead people well with defensive walls up all the time, viewing everyone as an enemy who's out to get you. You must, if you're going to lead well in a sustainable way, you must, you must learn to open yourself up. Yes, opening yourself up even to being hurt by those you seek to love. By the way, when a leader lives in fear, it impacts those he leads. Look over, if you will, at verse 24. Would you read verse 24 aloud with me? Verse 24 of chapter 17, ready? Begin. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. All it would have taken was a leader to step out in faith, and those men that were scared would have had great courage. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Spoiler alert, that's what happens at the end of the chapter. A man doesn't live by fear, and guess what everybody in Israel does? Those men that were cowering in fear, they run out in boldness. But a leader that leads in fear or by fear, it affects those that we follow. Secondly, what does a toxic king do? He lives to be served. You see it in verse number eight. What did Goliath say? He said, I am a Philistine. He identified with his nation. What did he say to all of them? You are servants to Saul. As you study Saul's reign in 1 Samuel, you'll see Saul saw people as a means to enrich his life. All through it, he didn't care about the good of the people. It was about how can you build my kingdom? 
How can you enrich my life? How can you make my leadership look better to other people? He was willing to do whatever it took to take advantage of any person, to manipulate anyone in any way that he could, as long as his name got lifted up. That is what we see uh, with King Saul. We see him living to be served. And we heard a great message, so I don't need to preach one on it tonight. We heard a great message on Tuesday night about the need to serve. Pastor Patterson showed us the example of Jesus Christ. But you wanna have, and he talked about this, but you wanna have a better marriage? Live to serve, not be served. You wanna have a better family, a better home? Live to serve parents, your children, and children live to serve your parents. You wanna have a, a better classroom at school? Teacher, live to serve your students, and students live to serve your teacher. When we live to serve one another by love, serving one another, there, there's great health that comes. When we live to be served, uh, it's, people are always pawns that we're looking to figure out how we can get more out of them. Number three, look at verse number 25. Verse 25 in chapter 17, it says, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up surely to defy the, surely to defy Israel as he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Number three, what does a toxic king do? It kind of goes along with point two. He uses others to build his kingdom. It was basically a suicide mission to go out against Goliath in their minds. How do we know this? Because Saul said, I'll give you, I'll make your family independently wealthy. I'll give you my daughter to be your wife. Again, by the way, a toxic leader will even use their own family as pawns to, to enrich themselves. I'll sacrifice my daughter. I don't care if she doesn't want to marry whoever does it. You can have her. And you never have to pay taxes. That's a pretty good deal. Independently wealthy, you get the king's daughter, so now you're in royalty, you're, heir, you're, you're an heir to the king, and you never have to pay taxes. And you know how many volunteers he had? None. Why? Because they understood how dangerous it was, but Saul didn't care. He didn't care how many people lost their lives as long as it wasn't him. I don't, I don't mind sacrificing your life, but I'm not going to step up as a leader and step out as a leader. Oh, I'll sacrifice your life, but we're not going to sacrifice my life there. And a, a toxic king uses others to build his kingdom. It was obvious that this was a dangerous mission, but, but Saul didn't care who it cost. And then lastly, the last thing we see about toxic kings, verse 33. Notice what the Bible says in verse 33. David stands up and says, I'm willing to do it. In verse 33, it says, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine for, to fight with him. Why? For thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. David, you're just a shepherd. You're not even old enough to join the military yet. You can't go out there. What do I see the fourth characteristic of a toxic king? Fourthly, they gauge everything by what they can see. Saul gauged everything by what he could see. You're not big enough or old enough or strong enough. There was no room, and you see this all through the scriptures we've been studying, no room in Saul's leadership for what God could do. It was only about what he could figure out. If he couldn't figure it out, then it was impossible. He found security in his plans, in his power, in his strength, and in his wisdom. By the way, Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. David was short, but Saul wasn't willing to step out. He was just willing to discourage David from stepping out. Look at verse number 38, please. Verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. He armed him with a coat of mail. What do we see? We see, again, Saul trying to figure it out for himself. 
here's my plan. If you're gonna go out there, here, take this armor that doesn't fit, let me figure it out. So that's from this passage, the characteristics of a toxic king. What does a godly shepherd look like? Look at verse 24, this is beautiful. Verse 24, speaking, uh, we already read verse 24. Let's go to verse 25, uh, we read 25 as well. Let's go to verse 26. Verse 26, and David, so David comes, David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Isn't anybody upset right now that this guy is mocking the God that we serve? Verse 27, and the people answered him saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, famous verse, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. David is going around and saying, doesn't anybody care that this man is mocking our God? And David's own brother says, what are you doing here, you little pipsqueak, you little runt? Who's watching your little sheep over there? And David said, what have I done? This isn't about me. This is about the name of our God. Doesn't anybody care? that nobody is standing up for our God. And he went one to another to these trained soldiers and said, doesn't anybody believe our God is big enough to win this victory? Is there not a cause? What do I see? A godly shepherd lives by faith. Yes, it's scary. And I might not know how it will turn out, but God, you deserve my trust. Isn't God worthy, David said, of our willingness to stand for him in the face of fear and uncertainty? Look what he says to Goliath, this nine foot tall trained killer. Look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, nobody, no soldier would fight this guy. If they, if they did in one, they would have been independently wealthy. And here's what David has to say. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Oh, you've got some good armor. And I come to thee in the name of who church? Of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Look at this in verse 46. This day will the who church? Lord, deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Notice what he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. It's not about our strength. It's not about our training. It's not about our methods. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. What do we see here? We see a, I want Israel, I want to introduce you to a new type of leader. We don't have a leader that cowers in fear anymore. We have a leader that steps out in faith. It's not about what I can do. It's about what he can do. We don't have a leader that manipulates and uses and says, oh, hey, I'll give you all my money if you go and, and risk your life. No, David says, is there not a cause? I'll go risk my life. He steps out and says, isn't God big enough to do what he said he could do? Hey, Israel, I introduce to you a new type of leader, not a king that lives in fear, but a, a shepherd who lives by faith. Beautiful, what a contrast. Number two. Not only that, verse number 13, look at what David did. His brothers go off to battle. Look at verse David in verse 13. 
And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of those sons, Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah. And David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. Notice this, verse 15. Would you read it aloud? Ready? Begin. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David went to feed his father's sheep. He's been anointed king of Israel. Samuel has said, you're the next king. And you know what he did? His brothers went off to battle, the popular limelight fun thing, and he went back into obscurity. He went back into the wilderness and took care of dad's sheep. Nobody saw him. Nobody appreciated him. Look at verse number 17. Verse 17. And Jesse said unto David, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy, to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. David gets a promotion. He goes from shepherd in the wilderness to Uber Eats driver. He gets to take some corn, some bread, and some cheese. Boy, he's really moving up in the world. And you know what David, the Bible says, when his dad told him, you know what it says about David? And he ran. What do we see here? What was David's posture as a leader? He didn't live to be served. He lived to serve. You want me to do something that nobody sees? I'm happy to do it. You want me to take care of the sheep, Dad? It doesn't matter that I've been anointed king. Oh, some, there's a cheese delivery. We've got a uh, Instacart from Whole Foods, the organic cheese coming to, to the battle. I'll do that. Whatever it takes, I'm happy to serve. Israel, I'd like to introduce you to a new leader. Look at verse number 20. And David rose up early and left the sheep with a keeper and went and as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. David gladly and wholeheartedly served his brothers, I'm sorry, his father and his brothers, even after he had been the one anointed as the next king of Israel. I don't know about you, I'd say that's a new type of leader. Saul, you serve me, you come be in my house. He even did that to David when he found he liked David's heart playing. Hey, Jesse, I want David to stay in my house so I can, I, I can ha have him play whenever I want to. David exists to serve me. His music exists to serve me. David said, I exist to serve my father and my brothers. Number three, what do we see about David in verse 26? Notice verse 26, we've read it already. And David spake to the men of Israel, and he says at the end, he says uh, um, uh, at the end, how is, are we gonna let him defy the armies of the living God? Number three, a godly shepherd uses his life to build God's kingdom. Is there not a cause? Don't you guys care? I'm, I'm, I'm glad, David said, to sacrifice my life for God's cause. What about the rest of you? Saul, I'm happy to use anybody else to build my kingdom. David says, I'm here not to build my own kingdom, to, but to build God's kingdom. And then lastly, look at verse 34, please. Verse 34, and David said unto Saul, so this is after Saul tries to tell him that he can't fight uh, Goliath. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Now look at it here. So it sounds like David's bragging on himself. Look what he says in verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me 
out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with thee. I see here a godly shepherd gauges everything by who God is. Saul gauged everything by what he could see. David gauged everything by who God was. He didn't look and say, well, you're right. Philistine, uh, uh, Goliath the Philistine is pretty, pretty scary. You're right. I, I can see why he goes, guys don't want to fight. No, what did David say? God's been faithful in the past. Why wouldn't he be faithful today? God's won victories in the past. Why wouldn't he win a victory today? The same God that I served in the wilderness is the God that I serve here at the Valley of Elah. The God that delivered my, me out of the hand of the lion and the bear. Why can't he do that to the Philistine? Why don't we believe that God is big enough? He said, Israel, I'd like to introduce to you a new type of leader. And I read this statement this week and I like it. David had access to the power of an extraordinary God because he didn't think he was extraordinary himself. David had access to the power of an extraordinary God because he didn't think he was extraordinary himself. God, I'm nothing but you're everything. So if you'll use me, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give my life. David focused on who God was, not what David could do. And if God has protected us before, he can protect us again. If God can win that small victory in my life, he can win this big victory in my life. David was like, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you serve the same God I do? Unlike Saul, David found his security in God's plan and God's power, not his own plan and his own power. Where did Saul find his security? In his armor, in his armies, in his experience, in his, in his where did God, David, where did, that's where Saul found his power. Where did David, in security, where did David find his power and his security? God. You see it over and over again. God can do this. God can do this. Saul said, it's got to all make sense to me. I've got to be strong enough or I'm not going to do it. David said, I'll let God figure it out. He's strong enough. I like what one commentator I read this week said of this passage. Only one person in our lives can be seen as great. It is either God or us. I want to let that sink in. Only one person in our lives can be seen as great. It's either God or us. The commentator went on to say, this is a strong blow to many of us who have been fed a steady diet of praise. Our parents, teachers, and peers have convinced us that we are distinguished, extraordinary, and just plain awesome. And perhaps we are more talented than some others around us. But the danger of relying on our talents and skills is that we run the risk of following Saul, not David. When it comes to making lasting impact in God's kingdom, no one has what it takes, no matter how talented. This is why David, even after he becomes a king, can pen a song like Psalm 23. He sees himself as a sheep and sheep are dumb. They focus on the patch of grass immediately in front of them and know nothing else. Essentially, every predator alive can easily dispatch a sheep. Listen to this. If a sheep thrives, it is always because of the care of the shepherd, not the skill of the sheep. If a sheep thrives, it is always because of the care of the shepherd, not the skill of the sheep. David knew this intimately, that the Lord was his shepherd and he embraced his sheeply role. I gauge everything by who God is. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission said, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. 
Oh, that we would have more leaders like David who seek and live in the power of God, not our own power. I'd like us to take a, a snapshot of that and ask ourselves, what describes me in my life and leadership? Do I live in fear more often or do I live by faith? Do I live to be served or do I live to serve? Do I, do I use others for what I can get out of them or do I use my life to, to serve God and others? Do I gauge everything by what makes sense to me or and what I can see or by who God is? Maybe you or I at times have been a leader that looks a little more like a toxic king than a godly shepherd. We can be a new type of leader. By the way, the toxic king model of leadership is sometimes effective and sometimes successful. There have been toxic kings that have built big businesses. There have been toxic kings that have pastored big churches. There have been toxic kings that have found great success in the world for a season. The toxic king model of leadership is sometimes effective and seemingly successful. Saul won some amazing victories, but much like Bobby Knight, his life and leadership ended in disgrace with a great stain on his legacy. The godly shepherd model of leadership is sustainable and spiritual and most like the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. So which will it be for your life, for my life, for your leadership, for your family, for anywhere that you have, you have oversight? What, what's gonna be the, the culture? A toxic king or a godly shepherd? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.